Welcome to the Founders Podcast. Whose bright idea was this anyway? I'm Andrew Peyton Smith, founder and CEO of Jizoodle. And welcome to the Founders Podcast. Whose bright idea was this anyway? And we're up to episode 12. <laughs> you like that, Andrew? And my, my very special guest this week is um, Andrew Cassin, who is the, um, the founder of Acquisity. Um, uh, Andrew is a licensed uh, business agent, um, author of On Your Terms, and said founder of Acquisity. Business owners engage Acquisity when they're looking to establish increase and realize value to their business. And to do this, Acquisity offers valuation, strategic advisory, and transaction services. Andrew, welcome to the Founders Podcast. Thank you very much, Andrew. It's not going to be very hard to uh, remember, your, remember your name through this, this whole uh, episode, is it? <laughs> I think we're the Andrews. <laughs> the Andrews are on board. Great. I think we're going. But thank you very much this. for having me. It's a, it's it's a privilege to uh, to be invited on. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Maybe to kick off, um, Andrew, just um, maybe give a little bit of a bio of um, of your career today, and tell us a little bit more about Quizzity. Okay, well, I started this business about 15 years ago. Uh, I'm not sure anything else is relevant now. Um, <laughs> it seems to be all I remember doing for the last uh, for the, for my entire life. So, um, no, I came out of management consulting uh, from industry, which is a, sort of an unusual path for someone who gets into mergers and acquisitions advisory work. Most people come through accounting or legal or investment banking sort of paths. Mm. Uh, I came from industry and that has allowed me to have much more, yeah, much deeper expertise, understanding of what happens at the coalface rather than just what happens on the balance sheet. Yeah. And that makes a bit of a difference to the people that I work with. Uh, it also means that I've, I can provide more realistic business advice rather than textbook advice. No. Uh, I'm not saying that lawyers and accountants can't provide <laughs> realistic <laughs> advice, but it's a bit different when you've been on the tools uh, yeah. to when you've just been an advisor the whole time. So. Yeah, so 15 years of that, come out of industry. I've worked over in the United States, which I probably wouldn't want to be over there at the moment. It seems to be even worse than Australia yeah. uh, in terms of the COVID thing. And, yeah, so the rest of my career has been in Australia, but I've worked in other country, you know, a few other countries from that base as well, Canada, the UK, um, Singapore, Hong Kong. Okay, so you're very well-travelled. It seems to be a quite a constant theme with a number of our guests recently, the uh, travelling well, thing, which is, which is very <laughs> ironic in the times when nobody can travel. When nobody can exactly, <coughs> borders are closed and yeah, no one's flying anywhere. So it's uh, what, what, what a you, shame, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've always said that um, travel um, uh, is, is one of the best educators of, of people just because of experiencing different cultures, different ways yeah, definitely. of life and so forth. And, um, and to be able to, to deny that now to millions and millions of people for, for God knows how long, um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a terrible state of affairs. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Absolutely. we won't labour the point. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so I just want to uh, talk a little bit about um, obviously the situation um, the world is in at the moment with um, with COVID nineteen. Um, it's arguably probably the biggest threat to um, global economies for in, in over a hundred years. What's your take on how business owners are responding uh, to COVID nineteen and how maybe they should respond? Well, I think they're responding in the most logical way 
they possibly can. I mean, the, the emphasis is on survival at the moment and mm. business owners are no different to employees or government or anyone else. They're only interested in, you know, at, at the base case, go back yeah. to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, looking mm -hmm. after number one, making sure you've got food and shelter and so on and so forth, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I'm seeing that behaviour in business owners at the moment where they're really just focusing on survival. Yeah, I've got clients that are relatively unaffected at the moment. Just They're mm. just in the right sectors that aren't seeing a slowdown at all. Um, they've got plenty of forward orders. Um, they've got yeah, plenty of deal flow coming through and, and it's a business as usual for them. I don't know how they're handling the, um, the social distancing or yeah. those types of things, but it's, yeah, there's generally, you know, it's affecting everyone in some way. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the most relevant path that anyone can take at the moment is to do exactly what they're doing and that's to reduce costs as much as possible to get accrued leave off the balance sheet by mm -hmm. forcing staff to take leave rather than you know obviously get rid of them you don't want to pay yeah. them out um the problem of course again as we said before is you just don't know how long this is going to go on for so there's a lack of certainty which is affecting the way people are behaving um but the other option really for, for business owners is liquidation and mm. that's not really an ideal scenario, particularly for those who are later in their careers, had business for a long time, and are looking to, you know, set themselves up for retirement. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's quite a lot of media and, and quite a lot of advice out there around the safe harbour provisions that came into force in 2017, I believe, yes. um, which gives uh, directors the opportunity to avoid having to appoint a liquidator or administrator straight away mm -hmm. when they fear that there's uh, potentially some some problems with insolvency so you know and, and the government's certainly helping with um, with as, as much stimulus as they can and as much uh, assistance mm. as they can to try and keep people employed uh, and and no one wants to see a great washout of, of no. businesses um, it would be a pretty dire situation having said that fantastic opportunity for those who survive and all of a sudden when it's a barren landscape when they uh, when it all emerges and or a few you know a fertile landscape perhaps yeah. when they emerge and all their competitors are gone so maybe that's you know for some people they're licking their lips and and, uh, and waiting absolutely um, but um, you know oh. at, at the moment for you know business owners can only just get as much assistance as they can and, and uh, as I said you know reduce costs get accrued leave off the balance sheet try and retain mm. as much as they can um, and avoid that liquidation yeah. scenario. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point. I've had several conversations over the last week or so. Um, it's uh, uh, one, of, one of the key areas that, and key opportunities that businesses have got now. First of all, um, a number of competitors that, that, that may have been competing solely on price in the past and are going to struggle to survive and this, obviously, with low margins and so forth. Um, competitors, it's, it's now also your opportunity to ensure that you take this time when, when things are slow to start really examining what your customers' pain points are, what you, how, how strong your processes are internally. Is there innovation you can actually apply to, to internal processes to make the customer journey just um, um, seem even better when, when, when you come out the other side? And um, so I've had a number of conversations in this in this vein recently. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, I actually posted on uh, posted an article a couple of weeks ago on this, um, mm. maybe even last week on LinkedIn, about um, what you can do during the during the downturn to get your business ready for the other side. And yeah. a lot of that was around, you know, hitting those tasks that you have been putting off because you've been too busy. 
yeah. um, get that systemization happening, make sure you're capturing the knowledge that might otherwise disappear from the com company when people leave. Mm -hmm. um, all of those, you know, they, those little tasks, those things that were, were you know, not urgent but important in, yeah. uh, you know, in, in Dr. Covey's uh, first things first model, um, that's, it's really a great time to be attacking a lot of those things and planning. Yeah, yeah really taking, you know, from my perspective, is taking a buyer's lens or looking at a business through a buyer's lens and looking at where the uh, the frailties are and where the, where the exposures are. Ah, Everyone's true. suffering at the moment, but except for Woolworths, yeah. they're doing fine. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're doing great at the moment, absolutely. <laughs> it's, um, uh, and also, um, one of the things that is, it's, it's probably a really good time to actually talk to your customers as well. They might not be buying in the number and the quantities or, or even at all at the moment, but now's probably a really good time to, to really get close to the customer. Well, I think you need to be asking that question, what can I do to help right now? Yeah. And it's not just a matter of talking to the customers, it's a, ma it's a matter of adding value to them. So giving yeah. them something they, they can't get elsewhere or they might not have thought of that can mm. help them with their business right now. And it might just be a hint, it might be an article, it might be a repost of something. It might just, you can't have a cup of coffee with them, obviously, but it might just be a, you know, just a, a touch base about something specific because no one, you know, every, everyone's frazzled. Everyone's yeah. fearful. Everyone, everyone is worried about what's going to happen in the future. Mm. So the best thing you can do is, is really ask that question. How can I serve people? Yeah. You could always do the virtual coffee, I guess, on using Zoom. <laughs> you can. <laughs> <laughs> I was not quite the same work. as sitting in a crowded cafe. Not quite. No, I was invited to a virtual pub with a, a group of um, um, my fellow uh, uni alumni from 25 years ago the other day, which was quite interesting. Right. <laughs> interesting. Now, well, yeah. one of the things um, um, that we've, we've talked about quite a lot over, over the last sort of 18 months or so, um, we've discussed um, essentially the effect of an aging demographic and a ticking time bomb. Uh, coming up in front of us. I mean, it's, it's probably even more important nowadays in that, that if you're a business owner in your 50s, 60s and 70s, um, there's an awful lot of business owners in their 50s, 60s and 70s that uh, will be looking to um, to exit their businesses. What should they be doing now really to, to safeguard their, their, their investments? Well, I think the first thing is to realise that post-pandemic, is going to be a new normal. It's going to be different. It's just the same way that after the GFC, there was a new normal again. Um, things changed um, in, in buying habits, in you know, a whole range of different things. I mean, even the even the macroeconomic factors were different um, after the GFC than they are now. I mean, look at the stimulus that the banks, have, the reserve banks, have trying been trying to put into play. They haven't been able to have the the effect they might otherwise have because interest rates are already low. So you can't cut interest rates too low. It's, uh, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. So I think you've got to recognise that things are going to be different. So you need to plan. You need to plan for, and think very – either talk to advisors, talk to your friends, try and get your finger on the pulse of what people are thinking. And that means reading widely yeah. um, and conversing with a lot of people and, and trying to get a handle on how things are going to be different. And then you need to position your business – Again, you ask that question, how can I serve people mm. in that new normal? How can, how can I reposition the business so that it is still adding considerable value to people and making their lives easier and solving problems? Um, other things that you could do, of course, 
and this is the same advice that I was giving to people before the GFC or after the GFC, was uh, get into more recession-proof industries. So you may be very exposed to retail, for example. That's not a good space to be in. You know, I do a lot of work in the recruitment space at the moment. You know, I have, you know, historically always have. Not a good in- industry to be providing services to at the moment um, because it's a real it's a real bellwether of economic activity. In fact, it's the canary in the coal mine, really. If, it, if employment contentions drop, then you know that there's some tough times coming. But if you you know if your business can do anything in healthcare or NDIS or food production, primary production, agribusiness. Um, at the moment, transport, logistics, logistics, warehousing has got nowhere to go but up. I mean, yeah. the, the shift to online shopping uh, yeah. and deliveries is only going to continue. Absolutely. Um, providing services to government or defence or anything like that. Um, and even at the moment, banking and finance, really, really strong industries in this environment. Not so good when the, uh, the financial system globally is in is under threat like it was during the GFC, but in this type of environment, that's very, very strong. So basically, I think I think your business owner has to look at the client base and say, well, what am I doing or where, where are my clients that are non-discretionary? They're, they're the essential businesses. If I don't have enough of those in the mix, then I need to look at what I can do to, to do that. Mm. Um, and look, that's very general advice, you know, and, and there's probably going to be some people listening to this who think, well, God, I can't provide services to any of those industries for whatever reason. I don't know what it would be, but, you know, so it's, it's pretty general, but it's just a question to be asking um, of, you know, as, as a business owner, ask, asking yourself of the, um, of the client base that you have. Yeah. That's probably, you know, one, one of the better things that, that people can do. And, and who'd have thought that um, Dyson would be making um, medical ventilators? <laughs> in the UK, <laughs> yeah, well, he made vacuum cleaners initially, and then he was making yeah. hand dryers. So yeah. you know, he'll put yeah. it on him. Absolutely. Now, one Brilliant. of the things you, one of the things you touched upon was, was looking for new opportunities in, in the in the new world. So, from from what, from, from what you're saying, um, you seem to be saying it, it, almost food security and food logistics and all the things that provide the basic security of life, for instance, there's probably going to be a renewed um, emphasis on those areas where they may have been taken for granted with imported lots of um, food, food from the border, et cetera, uh, for instance. And and the current pandemic is obviously exposing some of the supply chains completely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and that would be very sage advice, you know, to, Mm. to see what we can do. And this is not just for your business, but just generally, what can you do to encourage investment in more food production where the the the, the, the earth the, the human population is going to run out of food mm. at some stage yeah arable land is being taken up by you know, crops for producing ethanol yeah um or or you know i could go into i could go into a different topic there so i won't but um <laughs> yeah there's the reality is there's a whole wave of 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 new nutrition coming our way. Mm. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of work being done with algae, with yeah. crickets, or you know other insects. Um, there's you know seaweeds. There's a whole range of different things that that, uh, that are probably going to hit our dinner plates over the next generation. That yeah. at the moment seem a bit icky to even think of, but that's what we're going to have to do. So yeah, maybe then maybe that's where the opportunity is. Yeah, and, and do you think there'll be? And this is just coming to my mind. We haven't we haven't planned for this question, um, but do you think there'll be a renaissance of uh, Australian manufacturing come to light, and, and a lot of value started created in those areas? 
I think it depends to the the extent to which the government puts the or keeps the walls up, mm. um, the way that Trump is doing in America and yeah. really focusing on Australian made. Um, if it's difficult to source product from overseas, or if there's a lack of trust, or or the supply chain is is potentially at risk, mm. um, then potentially, yeah, that's that's an opportunity. I, the, the biggest problem is going to be the relative cost of producing yeah. in Australia compared to overseas. It always staggers me when I hear, you know, we're important. The berries that I put in my smoothie in the morning come from Chile. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure in Australia we can grow berries. Yeah. It can't be that hard. I've got, a, I've got strawberries growing in my backyard. So yeah. it's not that hard to grow berries. So I don't understand why we have to import so much, but maybe that's it's a much bigger question than what mm. I can answer. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> absolutely. And just, just going back to the theme of um, obviously, um, the world of startups and so forth, and um, mm. one of the things I think this is on uh, a lot of startups and went from day one, obviously there's, there's a common saying that you should think about your business exit and the day you conceive your, your business. Do, do you subscribe to that, to that saying? Generally, yes, mm-hmm. um, but there are always exceptions. Okay. So I, I think... If someone's setting up a business so that they have a job, mm-hmm. probably not so much. They probably yeah. they need to plan their business so that they have a job for a long time. Yeah. And if there's a value out of the business down the track, great. Mm. Uh, but if or if they're following a passion and they really don't see an end to that, uh, for whatever reason. But if you've got a startup that you've noticed a gap in the marketplace, like everyone else, but <laughs> that's generally how they yeah. how they, yeah. they they operate. Find a problem to solve. Um, you come up with a solution to that, and you're you know, really looking at a five to seven year time frame of, of building something and then exiting uh, yeah. and moving on to something else. Then absolutely, the exit plan should be not just a little footnote in the business plan, but mm. a very very big you know compass point for the yeah. business plan. If that's what you're heading towards, you need to plan for that. Um, I think. You know, most business owners need to ask themselves the question, am I running a business or am I, am I running a practice? Mm. And there's a big difference between the two. And a business is one that employs people uh, and is scalable, yeah. effectively. Uh, a practice is really, it's the person who owns it, is providing the services themselves and has a small support network. The margin, profit margin in those two models is very different. You might get a 20% profit margin out of a business, but an 80% profit margin out of a practice. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the business can be sold, a practice can't. Yeah. Really? Absolutely. No, I mean, maybe it could for a bit of IP, but it doesn't have a great exit value. So you're making your money on the way through rather than on the way out. Yeah. So, so, so what advice would you give, and, and, and I'll look at two scenarios here, what advice would you give when, when you're first talking to an owner of um, Andrew Payton Smith uh, Butchers, for instance, where my name's on the door and everything else, as opposed to uh, techno, techno, Boys or whatever the uh, <laughs> it'll be very different. A, a, ABC technology. Yeah, ABC yeah. technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, a butcher is a trade, yeah. and generally, the person who is a butcher is out there trading on their own name. You know, they're selling their skills effectively for for a dollar. Mm. You know, I know they're cutting meat and selling meat, but that's the sort of business where you're going to run it for forty years and then retire probably yeah. with a very sore hand, um, but um, that's you might pass it on to someone. You might get a, a small you know, amount of compensation for that mm. uh, when, you, when you get out because someone's going to inherit something that's got a brand, position in yeah. the marketplace, 
Um, but it's going to be small. It's not going to be a big business. Uh, ABC technology, look, it depends on what problem they're solving uh, and who the potential buyer could be. Mm. And if you're building something, you say, you know what, this would integrate very well with Facebook. This would give them a new lease of life. They're losing relevance at the moment. Um, I'm pretty sure Mark Zuckerberg would be very happy to pull out his checkbook um, mm. with lots of zeros um, for a business that can you know, solve, solve a problem for him. So yeah. I think if you're... Again, another another article article I've written on this um, was about building an asset rather mm. than a business. Yeah. And there's another distinction is the business itself is a product yeah. for a marketplace. So you're building a product, i.e. the business, so that you can sell that to a identified buyer profile. Mm-hmm. So it might be a private equity firm. It might be a big software company, whatever it might be. So you're actually not... You're not worried too much about building the business as a business. You're building the business as an asset that you can then sell. Yeah. And that's, you definitely need to have an exit plan for that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's an interesting world. Um, uh, and, and obviously, one of the key things with, with, with the, the type of business shops we've got uh, at the moment, that's probably put uh, a number of people's... Um, Plans backwards a little way in terms of um, in terms of their own exits. Again, yeah, the um, the expectation of the mass retirement of baby boomers has been uh, a constant theme over the last fifteen years I've been in business. Mm. And the year it's you know in the next decade there's going to be tens of thousands of businesses in market. Yeah, keeps on yeah. not happening because you yeah, know the GFC came along and then yeah. business owners were saying, oh you know I'll have to have to replenish all that lost. Wealth, you know, that, yeah. I, that I'd had in my superannuation or my share portfolio, or whatever. So they've spent time building their businesses up again, and uh, you know, getting ready to sell, and all of a sudden this hits. So they've got to do it again. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Excellent stuff. Now um, I want to come on to your top ten tips um, for business uh, business owners um, to have a little bit of an exit plan in mind. Um, what What are your top ten tips for business owners? Um, uh, not just for this day and age, but we'll, we'll stand through the test of time until the next big business shock, almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the big, the, this top 10, there's probably a top three, and, I'll, and yeah. I'll, I'll try and cover 10 as well, but there's there's yeah. three really big rocks, if you go back to that analogy of rocks in yeah. a jar uh, and then smaller rocks and then sand. Um, the three big rocks that I've identified over my, you know, of my time in this space, uh, the first mm. one has been principal dependence. And the principal yeah. dependence means when a business is overly reliant or the, ex- the degree to which the business is reliant on the owner or the owners yeah. for its results. Uh, if a business is overly reliant on its owners, it's less appealing to people who might want to come and buy the business. Yeah. Um, it might be very appealing if someone wants to come along and invest in the business. Uh, but that's, you know, again, if you're looking to raise capital, um, or to you know, be the cornerstone of a consolidation play, you might get the private equity money in. But that's really the first big rock is yeah. if you're a business owner, you're looking to build a business to sell, you've got to make the business less reliant on yourself. Yeah. And you do that through delegation, through systems, through documentation, through taking that view of the old Michael Gerber, work on the business, not in the business. Yeah. That's uh, probably the best advice there. The second big rock is your customer concentration. Mm-hmm. And it's really normal for a smaller business to grow on the back of a 
you know, one or two or three big um, mm. big contracts. So what ends up happening is you look at their sales by client report, you end up having, you know, 50% of your revenue is coming from one client or, yeah. or 80% from your top five. And they're both pretty untenable situations or risky situations from in a buyer's perspective, in a buyer's yeah. eyes, because they uh, basically mean that if you were to lose any of those customers mm-hmm. for whatever reason, then the business may not even be sustainable. Yeah. So that client, client concentration, you've got to make sure that you, you don't have any client representing any more than 20% of your total revenue, yeah. uh, and preferably even less than that. That's sort of your benchmark there, about 20% maximum. Your third big rock is the amount of systemization in the business. Um, the big question that most buyers will ask when looking at a business is, if all the staff were to leave tomorrow as a result of this change, for whatever reason, to what extent could I bring new people in and have them operating the business in a very short period of time? Now, if nothing's documented, if nothing's systematized, then it's actually going to be really difficult for a new person to come along and have any faith that the business is going to continue if things were to change. Um, now, that's not to say that things will change, but that's always a concern and a, and a you know, reasonable concern. It happens regularly. But, uh, you know, particularly longer-term staff, they might say, you know what, I've been working for this particular person. I like this person. Uh, they're, they're leaving, they're retiring, whatever. I'm going to go and do something else now. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you've lost your key people. Mm. So that's uh, that's a big concern. So documentation, that knowledge capture is really critical. Having really good you know, systems around customer relationship management, uh, workflow automation, even your onboarding processes mm. for new staff, your recruitment, yeah. your retention, your training, those types of things. It all, it all needs to be systematized so that you can replace people quickly if yeah. necessary. And there's effectively a you know a manual on how to run the business. To, on a, as a turnkey operation. Um, in terms of the other ones, I mean, Jim, generally they're der- derivatives of, of those particular yeah. you know, big rocks. But if, if I was to talk about other big top 10 tips, then first one would be if you're going to sell a business, know what you're going to do next. Mm-hmm. That's pretty important. <clears throat> do, do people uh, think about that enough? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> Um, they tend to get pointy end of a sale process and then realise that their identity is inextricably linked to the business yeah. that they've created mm. um, and that by leaving they'll actually have a, you know, a loss of identity. Yeah. Uh, and that's a bit of a problem for a lot of people. They have you know, vendor's remorse, as it were. They actually find it hard to let go. Mm. Um, so that, that can be a problem, uh, particularly if they've got nothing to go to. There are serial entrepreneurs who just want to build an asset, sell it, and go and do it again. Yeah. That's a different kettle of fish. But if you're looking at someone in their 50s, 60s, 70s who's had their business for 20, 30, 40 years, wants to sell it to then retire, mm. then having an idea of what they're going to do in retirement, what that looks like, is actually really important. Yeah. Um, again, an, another tip would be you know, be able to look at the business through the buyer's lens. Mm. And that's you know, you need to be able to take that objective view of your business and say, if I was looking at my business, would I buy it? Because that's yeah. a, another question that most people wouldn't ask. They generally will say, well, make any excuse or, you know, they'll, they'll try to overcome any objection that mm. a buyer might have. But the reality is those objections are real. Um, yeah. They're, you know, and, and a, 
business is, you know, I guess the, the, the owner knows their business better than anyone uh, and better than anyone ever will. So mm. they see through uh, or, or they can cope with the potential risks or yeah. what they might not even consider risks, but someone coming in will highlight those. Yeah. That must be uh, one of the most issue. difficult things you ask a, a, a seller to actually look at. If, uh, in, in the because I can imagine all sorts of reactions to that question as, to, when, yeah. if, as, as, an, ex, <laughs> as an exercise. As an exercise, it's a tough one for people to get their head around. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it's like uh, asking them to stand back and actually look at their wife objectively. <laughs> you know, rather than all their children, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe some people yeah. don't have a problem with that, but a lot of people, you know, yeah. they love their children to death and they wouldn't, they think the world of them, so you can't ask mm. them to start looking for all their flaws. It's very yeah. difficult. Um, that key person risk is always an exposure for businesses yeah. as well. You know, when you've, you've got too many, one or two key people that if they were to leave, the value of the business would disappear, so that's that's yeah. critical. Um, it's, it's one of the areas yeah. actually that I don't think has been, been discussed enough in this whole COVID-19 uh, era as well, is the fact mm. that um, and you talk about, we've seen a lot about ensuring the communication between the employees and the supply chains and everything else, but I haven't seen a lot of talk about ensuring key personnel. There's a, there's a risk plan around that. No, no, you're absolutely right. That's yeah. probably something that people can do a lot more work on. Mm. Yeah, you know, relationships with customers, women suppliers need to be contracted rather than just personal relationships. Yeah. You know, you've, you've got to have documentation. Effectively, someone needs to be able to come in and do a full review of the business and give it a clean bill of health in, in every aspect and, and not see any flight risk, um, mm. what we call transaction risk. Yeah. So there's a change of ownership and, you know, too much is reliant on individual relationships or individual mm. knowledge then the business is risky. But if it's yeah. all systematised, it's documented, uh, all the relationships are captured in contracts, it's much less likely that people, that, uh, you know, a change in ownership is going to precipitate a change in performance. Because mm. effectively what a buyer is always looking for, an investor is always looking for, is sustainability and you know, often growth, but generally it's yeah. sustainability. They want to see that the business they're buying is going to continue to be the same business in a year's time. And it's not going to change you know, dramatically, particularly downwards during the no, time. No nasty shocks. So I, I won't go any through anymore. That's, yeah, that's probably no. probably enough tips there. But that's plenty of good key ones there. Yeah, I think one, one of the ones that really uh, resonated with me was the uh, customer concentration. And really, this comes back to virtually a lot of things in life is make sure you've got a good. Um, uh, strategy for diversification, and whether that's in in market you attempt to the game, or whether it's your customers, and you've got a good cross mix of the customers and so forth. And um, yeah, so that that really resonated uh, with me. And yep. also the systemization, and I think this is one thing that's probably um, frustrated me probably more times than anything else. Um, <laughs> and I've been speaking with uh, clients in in the past is is the importance of that systemization, making sure that documentation in place, the processes are in place, they're well understood. They're not just in place, but they're understood and they're practiced and they're lived, for instance. And they're tested and refined when needs to be. Yeah. It's a yeah. look it's, it's such a massive area. Mm. And I, I just don't I, I think too many business owners just give it sh- short shrift. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, completely. No, that's that's uh, that's fascinating, uh, Andrew. Now um 
obviously business recovery strategies and turnaround strategies not necessarily just at this time obviously um we talked a little bit earlier about um, businesses planning for um, recovery and to, to start taking advantage of, of, of um, opportunities so how, what do you see that the businesses can do now to, to start to prepare for that for that recovery which will come and it will come in time we, we, we both know that now. oh of course yeah it will come yeah. it can't not yeah that's yeah that's in, inevitable um like I, I think as i said before that that repositioning the business so it can do business with non-discretionary mm. sectors yeah. uh, is a, it's one way that businesses can recover or get themselves set up so that when this happens again they're not going to be hit as quite as hard i was even pondering this question earlier i was, I was actually you know looking at my crystal ball which <laughs> which is broken at the moment but um, <laughs> what really came to mind was businesses becoming more lean and agile and yeah. scalable up and down really utilizing a much more flexible workforce and we're seeing a global trend in flexible workforce being more of the norm than it's ever been before yeah. uh, ever since the start of the industrial revolution when jobs were created for the first time really um, mm. on mass so that scalability um, really you've got a couple of you know, principles or key people in a business and then you can use flexible labor around that uh, or outsourcing uh, of various functions that aren't st strategically important um, there's a whole range of things you can do to create a more scalable model, which, yeah. as I yeah, as said, you can turn it up and down uh, yeah, as, as needed. Um, again, well, that systemization is, yeah. is critical for that. Yeah. You've got to have systems and you've got to be able to capture knowledge. So yeah. that's critical. If you're going to use a flexible workforce or have that sort of model, you need to have really good systems behind you. Yeah. One of the things, um, just, just quickly going back to the links that are the, the acting lean and agile, for instance, a thought came over me the other night is that all of a sudden, without any real warning, every business in the world has been turned into a startup, which is <laughs> a really fascinating thought. And, that is a um, fascinating thought. And, and, and the fact is the fact that, that those businesses that can now adapt to that complete change in, let's say, some markets have disappeared completely, so those that can adapt can actually, um, as you say, be, be agile enough to actually start testing new opportunities start testing the market, start talking to their customers even more, trying new messages, trying new processes, trying new product lines even, or even services, mm. and, uh, and continually speak to the market and being able to adapt to the ones that will possibly come through this room really strongly. Well, we've seen you know, manufacturing companies around the world, factories around the world, are all of a sudden producing surgical masks. Yeah. They've never produced those before, or Dyson, yeah. you know, creating ventilators. and There's... Yeah. There's a lot of that going on at the moment where they're basically creating capability or the businesses mm. has cap have capability, core capability in terms of uh, skills and yeah. infrastructure, but they can divert that or deploy that capability into whatever area is of need at that point mm. in time. That's really clever um, yeah. and that's agile. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're stuck doing one thing and one thing only and there's no all of a sudden no market for that, then you're pretty stuffed. And you've, got, and you've got to and you've got to work out is if first of all is there a market for it no is there going to be a market for it or possibly but are there other opportunities out there and yep. um and being able to turn that message very very quickly yeah. well i think another thing that's become very very clear very quickly has been 
online engagement mm. um, or the ability for businesses to be able to interact with their customers online. And yeah. you know, there's a joke going around at the moment that coronavirus brought to you by Zoom. Um, <laughs> because you can imagine that Zoom yeah. is doing extremely well in uh-huh. this environment. Um, all my, both of my children are using it for class. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think you're going to find schools are going to ramp up their ability to do remote learning um, mm-hmm. more proactively. At the moment, it's been quite reactive. Yeah. I think that's going to become a bit of a new normal again. In fact, yeah. the whole structure of a school week might change. I'm not saying it will, but it might. Well, you know, they might actually have one day a week when they're at home doing remote learning. Yeah. I don't know. But maybe that's a possibility. But if you can do your you know, podcast via Zoom rather than in a studio or mm-hmm. you're running events uh, virtually rather than having to hire a venue, doesn't yeah. doesn't sound good for the hospital hospitality people but it's great for the entrepreneur yeah uh, to be able to engage with their audience uh it also means you can board them and play them later as webinars and things but i think the, the last thing that's become blatantly obvious out of this is to build a buffer yeah you, know, you can't run a business that's living hand to mouth you can't run a business that can project its cash flow out four weeks and after that you actually don't know what's going to happen mm. so you know and this is great you know, great advice for people to, you know, personal situations to have 12 months worth of expenses and savings. You know, it's yeah. highly unlikely you're ever going to need it, but right now it'd be really good to have. Yeah. Um, but businesses potentially need to be in the same situation because the strong will survive and thrive. Mm. And those that have strong balance sheets will come out of this, not that they'll be damaged, and they yeah. won't be the same business they were before, but they'll have their staff complement. They'll have the right advice. They'll have good systems. And when when the dust settles, they're going to be the ones, the first ones onto the battlefield to clear everything up and take advantage of all the opportunities that are out there because yeah. they've, they've had that buffer. Yeah. And those that didn't had to put everyone off and all of a sudden, you know, liquidation doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, the more you have to shed, the, 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 the longer it takes to start back up again. Absolutely. Excellent. So, and, and obviously on the, on the business sales market, I mean, that must be changing. Um, immensely at the moment. Well, there isn't of, one at the uh, moment. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> How does the industry um, respond to that? Well, generally, yeah, if we're talking about the lower mid-market, mm-hmm. or SME market, yeah. um, they're probably, yeah, I say they in jest, but there probably isn't a business sales market right now. Yeah. There's plenty of people who, you know, their business is going under and they're probably thinking, oh, Christ, I can sell it and get whatever I can for it. Mm. Um, probably won't get a result doing yeah. that. Um, I'd like to say they could, but probably won't. If, mm. if they're that distressed, it's probably not going to end well. Yeah. Um, there are there's, pl- there's plenty of money out there, Andrew. There is, yeah. you know, in the report that came out last year, there was $7.1 billion in dry powder, which is you know, uninvested capital in mm. private equity funds alone. Yeah. That's, not, that's not talking about corporate Australia. That's just yeah. private equity funds. Yeah. And they were struggling just to find investments. Now, right now, it's kid in a candy store time for them mm. because they're looking at the equity markets and saying, geez, what can we get cheap? That's yeah. if their mandate allows them to invest in listed companies, but yeah. you know, there's probably going to be a lot of that going on. Um, today's financial review, uh, Woodside Petroleum, has put on a, on hold a few projects yeah. um, to build a war chest for mergers and acquisitions so they can go and buy mm. other companies yeah. that are in, in a more distressed state and what a great opportunity to get some land share. Yeah. So there is, there's going to be deals. They're probably going to be more uh, predatory buyers 
mm-hmm. um, and more bargain hunters and more companies going through the fire sale rather than your normal M&A. And this is exactly what happened during the, the global financial crisis. Okay. Um, there was, you know, the private equity funds went berserk leading up to 2008. They mm-hmm. were playing ridiculous multiples, putting, you know, loading companies up with debt and all of a sudden it all came crashing down. And yeah. as the private equity people were, were want to say, there was blood on the streets. Yeah. Um, but the market for, you know, mid-market M&A just disappeared pretty mm-hmm. much. Unless yeah. it was, you know, predatory behaviour and, and yeah. people looking for bargains. Uh, that's probably what's going to happen uh, in the short term anyway. You know, yeah. I, I, I really don't think, you know, I've got some clients I'm just taking out the market now and the, the feedback I'm getting from the buyers is, seriously? Mm, really? <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they're trying to get their own house in order. Yeah. So, you know, or, the, or they're worried about survival. So it's not the time for a lot no. of people to be even thinking about it. No. Having said that, you know, if someone came to me with a business and said, look, I'll just take, you know, a share of profit for five years. Can, mm. you know, can you just get rid of it for me? I'd probably take it on myself. Yeah. If that's all they wanted was, you know, deferred payments, I'd probably say, yeah. sure. Yeah. You know, I'll do that myself. Interesting. So, um, yeah, Interesting so maybe, model, then maybe yeah. that's a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking, obviously, as well, um, attention where there are um, uh, people within the supply chain potentially could add, add additional value to you at this time that may be a little bit weaker than they would be. So it could be a source of opportunities. Well, again, it goes back to the bargain hunters. The, yeah. you know, the, the buyers of the bargain hunters, they'll be paying yeah. as little as they possibly can. Yeah. And they'll be driving prices down. Yeah. So that's just what's going to happen in the short term. Once we come out of the other side of it, we'll probably get back to, you know, your average sort of normal market again. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're rapidly running out of time, believe it or not. Um, already? Wow. Already, yeah. Um, if, um, if there was one piece of advice you could give uh, to a budding entrepreneurial business button, what would it be? Um, I think the advice, yeah, if, you, if you think you're going to sell the business at some stage, Start surrounding yourself with people who can help you. Yeah. Start surrounding yourself with people who've been through the process and, and are going to be needed you know, by you in that process yourself. So, yeah, you know, align yourself with a, a good accountant. Some people just have an accountant who does their tax returns and that's all mm-hmm. they expect of them. Yeah. That's not the sort of person you need to have as your accountant when you're going to approach a commercial sale. Yeah. Uh, same with a lawyer. I had a client once who I asked him to, you know, about their lawyer and they said, oh, yeah, this guy's great. We know, we've known him for years. He'll mm. help us. He was a litigation lawyer oh, and they couldn't yeah. be told yeah. that you needed a commercial lawyer. So he came in and completely screwed it up because he took the litigator's perspective yeah. and wouldn't and, and really didn't know anything about contracts. So you've got to get the right people involved, um, mm. work with people like myself who are the intermediaries yeah. uh, who are going to guide you through the whole process from the start to the finish, um, get the the strategic advisory, the exit advisory happening mm. two years before you think yeah. you're going to be pulling the trigger on the yeah. sale so that we can get it all set up and, and, and at its best because we really want the business at its best yeah. when you want to go on the market. You don't want to be just another option out there to buy. You want to be the best option. So that's probably the best advice I can give. Surround yourself yeah. with the right people. That's fantastic. Coming up, um, our next guest on um, next podcast is... Um, uh, and MMA and Dills lawyer, so which is going to be a very good segue that you didn't know any about anything about, but thank you for, for providing No problem, segue. great segue. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. 
Um, and if you had a magic wand, what would the one thing be that you could wish for? Andrew, I think the obvious one there isn't the eradication of the COVID-19 <laughs> <laughs> from the world yeah. um, because that would mean that golf courses would be open again and the AFL season would be back in full swing with crowds. So I'd be very happy with both yeah. of those uh, scenarios. Absolutely. Um, but that's, you know, if I could wave a wand, absolutely, that'd be the way that, that's what I want for the world. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's a great answer. Um, <laughs> excellent stuff. So in just uh, wrapping up, where can our listeners find out more about you and your building uh, and your business? My business? Uh, the best thing to do would be to reach out to me via LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, it's the way that people communicate and, and interact yeah. these days. Uh, it's a great um, platform for that. Um, there's some good content on there that you can access, um, but just generally, I like to have conversations with people. So it's all well and good to have people interested in what you do, but it doesn't really mean anything unless you're talking to them. Yeah. Um, but they can also go to www.acquisity.com, not, yeah. not .com.au, just .com. Mm-hmm. Acquisity is spelled A-C-Q-U-I-S-I-T-I, as in the word acquisition, but without the O-N. Uh, again, lots of articles there, lots of content there in the blog section and the sort of description of what we do as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Andrew, for being um, an excellent uh, guest. And I'm going to say, anyone that's looking to need advice on, on their business and the building of their business and the exit of their business, Andrew's a, 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 one of the people to come to, that's for sure. So, uh, well, thanks very much, Andrew. Thoroughly nice chat. And um, yeah, lovely speaking to you again, Andrew. Pleasure. Much appreciate the opportunity too. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. Bye-bye.